Hi, I'm Talia and I am the host of Compassionate Conversations podcast series two. In series two, we will hear from inspiring people who work for and with young people. Each episode is designed to share ways of empowering the next generation to ensure they have the tools to go on to have mentally healthy futures. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media, Single Parents Wellbeing. Hi all, I'm really excited about my guest speaker this morning. I've got Hannah Anderson with me today and she is best known for being an activist, writer and speaker. She is passionate about feminism, politics and inclusivity and pours her huge heart for justice into working towards a more equal world. We will hear about Hannah Makes Change and how we can use our voice to become change makers too. Hi Hannah. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I've been so excited to have you since our last call. Was it two weeks ago? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I only spoke to you for 15 minutes, but it was honestly 15 minutes that I was just got really excited just from hearing some of the things that you've been doing. And so I've been looking forward to finding out in more detail about what you do and what you've done. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to get the chance to chat with you. Aww. Well, should we start with giving a bit of context? Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Hannah Anderson. I describe myself now as a writer, speaker and activist. But in reality, I do lots of different things. So yeah, I do some script writing at the moment for a politics podcast that helps to demystify some of the stuff going on in politics. I also work with an organisation that helps to build confidence for women and non-binary people. And yeah, I also write articles predominantly about feminism, work and politics. And yeah, try to, I guess, help people to see the ways that they might be able to make a change in the world. So there's a lot of things going on at the moment that people really feel an urge to do something. And I want to be someone that helps people to believe that they are somebody who can make change. Yeah, that's amazing. So can you tell us a bit about your desire to make a change and how this led you to set up your business? Yeah, so I guess it kind of started. So I worked in a bank for quite a long time. So I started there when I was 19 and I worked there until I was in my early 30s. Um, So a couple of years ago that I left there. And I think what I found was towards the end of my time there was when it first became law for big companies to have to publish their gender pay gap so that's when you add up all of the money that men get paid in an organization and all of the money that women get paid in an organization and you kind of look at what's the gap between that so who's getting the most money in the organization and what we find is that in the vast majority of organizations there's a gender pay gap in favor of men And what I was noticing was that then, you know, the companies would publish this data and then they often like write a report that goes with it. And most of them were just saying, well, the reason for the gender pay gap is because, you know, men are in more senior positions and women are more likely to work part time and look after children. And I was thinking, well, yeah, 
But that's the problem. That's not an excuse for it. That's the problem. And that's the problem that we need to deal with. And I was just getting more and more frustrated that it didn't feel people were really, there was just an acceptance of it generally. And, you know, I'd been really excited when it was first coming out, but it's barely changed in the few years since it's come out. And I think what I was seeing then was also these companies saying, oh, well, we're going to do a programme to help women to, you know, just be more confident and negotiate pay rises and this sort of thing. And I felt like it was very focused on changing the women rather than changing the system that, mm. that wasn't allowing them to like thrive within the organisation. So it's, that was really, that's how I came into this sphere is from that point of view of women in the workplace. Mm. And when I was made redundant from my job, that's when I started to really try to focus on diversity and inclusion and I would then say my work's evolved since then because I have taken time to learn about it shows that it wasn't until I was sort of in my late 20s early 30s that I was really starting to see inequality that shows that I had a fairly privileged upbringing I'm white I'm middle class and you know then as I start to learn more I start to see actually these issues are bigger than just the workplace these are huge changes that we need across society and politics so that's where my work sort of evolved away from being specifically about diversity and inclusion at work and really being about how do we get people involved in actively changing the systems that we live in yeah that's amazing so did you really take this journey so when you became redundant were you like okay what am I passionate about where can I go from there is that how it happened yeah, so I think, I mean, it came as, you know, I found it really difficult. I'd worked there at that point for like 13 years. I'd started there when I was, had just turned 19. And, you know, so I'd pretty much grown up in that organisation. Yeah. I didn't really know who I was kind of outside of it. So, yeah, I sort of spent some time kind of thinking about, I guess, I see that that key as being the two things. There's what is it that you are passionate about and also what are you good at? So taking the mm. stuff that you really care about, but everyone's got like a different part to play within that. So yeah, as I said, for me at the start, it was particularly around gender equality at work. That's much more broader now to inequalities generally across society. And then thinking for me, what were the things that I was good at which tend to be communicating telling stories writing presenting and yeah so trying to find what would be my sort of place within those kind of movements yeah that's amazing and I kind of skipped over a question I didn't actually mean to but I still want to know at what age did you first feel passionately about making change was it that moment or have you always had, I don't know, something within you from an early age and then that was your chance to really pursue it and act upon it? No, I think I've been sort of thinking about this and I think honestly, when I was younger, I cared so much about fitting in. And so instead of trying to change, you know, external things I spent most of my life trying to change myself and for mm. me try to fit in you know whether that was at school or at work try to just yeah fit in and make sure that everybody liked me so that was one thing that probably kind of stopped me and you know and to be honest you know my mum and dad are quite active in terms of you know, they would often go to like protests and marches and my dad stood for the Welsh Assembly once. And I just found that so embarrassing when I was a teenager. I was 
it was like mortifying and I think that that maybe pushed me away a little bit and then as I said you know growing up very privileged in terms of my right race financial situation that sort of thing meant that I probably didn't see honestly a lot of the problems Mm. that we have and so yeah I think it was something but then I think it started to build probably over those couple of years and it really I guess what happened for me is I got to an age where you know a significant number of my friends and my colleagues start to have children and that is really when you really start to see those differences in the workplace around gender so I think that's probably what really brought it to the fore for me and I think now I'm so grateful to have grown up in a household with parents who are politically engaged and and care about things because yeah it's sort of in there but I'd never embraced it before yeah oh it's quite an exciting new journey that you've been on the last couple of years because it's amazing and before we go into more detail about inclusivity and like diversity that you were that you mentioned can you give us a broad just like a little summary of how you set up your own business and what you've done so far and what that looks like yeah so when I first started I set up a company called as we are and that was about kind of what I was saying around I didn't want to change the systems because I felt you know we're great as we are we shouldn't need to change it should be the systems around us that need to change and Mm. and at that time I wanted to focus on the one hand of coaching people one-to-one helping them to you know maybe get out of workplaces where they weren't being appreciated or helping them to have conversations about those sort of things and identify what it was that they wanted and then also to try to work with organisations to try and shift some of those ideas about how you might deal with these problems or to even like see them as problems in the first place. I started it sort of around late 2019, which meant that really soon into that, we went into a lockdown. And that meant that a lot of my time was focused doing that one-to-one coaching because lots of people were thinking about whether they really enjoyed their work and that sort of thing. So that kind of shifted things and I didn't get to spend as much time like working with the companies. And then I actually, in the September of 2020, I started a degree. So, well, I did go to uni when I was 18, but I only stayed for three months and then I left and got a job in the bank. And yeah, just something that I've always thought about doing. So I started a full-time degree in sociology and politics in September of 2020. And I think that's really been what's then shifted for me to see these wider things that I want to sort of help and support with. And also I started to think more about being myself and instead of hiding behind this business, just being me. So as we are as sort of closed down and now I just run as Hannah Anderson. And oh, I love that. Yeah, and I think that it's quite scary when you come out from working at, you know, I worked in one of the biggest companies in the world to then say, oh, you know, work with me. I felt I sort of needed to hide behind this company and I don't feel like that so much anymore. So, yeah. and yeah, so I tend to work a bit more now on, yeah, a freelance basis alongside them studying full time. I've just finished my second year. So I'm on summer holidays now, which is nice. And yeah, and then sort of do work through my own newsletter and website and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's amazing. I actually really like that shift from as we are to your name, because I feel that does represent what you're actually trying to bring out on other people as well, for encouraging people to come as they are and you're paving the way with that. 
which is really lovely yeah oh, I love that so I know you're passionate about inclusivity and diversity can you unpack that a little bit yeah so I think the biggest thing for me is that so we live in a really diverse society so that being across you know people's experiences the way that they grow up your gender your race your ethnicity your sexual orientation whether you have children when you have children if you ever want to have children so many different experiences that we have but when we look at who makes the majority of the decisions in our lives so we look at politics we look at you know big companies they are really heavily dominated by one type of person who tends to be middle-aged white straight non-disabled man (laughs) and that for me is what is at the root of diversity and inclusion is how do we diversify decision making how do we make sure that the decisions that are being made in society do take into account all of these different types of experiences that people are having and I think that that has to come yeah at all of these different levels because then it, it means then that people can be more actively involved in change because you can see yourselves in those, you know, there's a you must say you can't be what you can't see. So if you don't see yourself represented, then you don't know how to be in those spaces. Yeah. But also for people, you know, not everyone wants to like be in politics or be the boss of a big organization. You should still know that you are represented within those spaces. And we are really far away from that at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And what are your hopes for young people to grow up in an inclusive society? Yeah, well, I hope that we are starting. I think we're at a stage where lots of people, not everybody, is starting to value or see the value in those things I was talking about, about diversifying those decision making. And I really hope that that's what we see, really. I want to see people see the value in that and not because what we see at the moment is that when that sometimes when you try to have conversations about diversity and inclusion, some people can feel threatened by that and can feel what you're saying is, you know, we don't want any men in those sort of situations. And it can make it really hard to have those conversations. And what I really hope is that we move to a place where everyone can see the value in having diversity within sort of all, you know, across all of society in a way that that represents society. So that's what I hope that we're starting to move towards. Yeah, sure. And how can young people be, you know, carrying this idea and bringing it into their, I don't know, schools and unis and workplaces when they leave school? Yeah, I mean, I think already young people are leading the way in these sorts of conversations. Recently, I had a meeting with a group of year 10s in the school and we were talking about what would they want to learn about politics and the things they were saying were, oh, we want to learn about disability rights. We want to learn about anti-racism. We want to learn about Mm. LGBT rights. We want to learn about the gender pay gap. Young people want to know about these things. And I think there's a real issue that, adults can find it quite difficult to have those sort of conversations but there's a real appetite amongst young people to have them so yeah I think they already are and I think it's question everything because 
older doesn't necessarily mean wiser like that's what we're always taught is that oh some people are in those positions because they're older so they just know more things I, I don't think that that's necessarily true so I think the more that young people can question the way yeah. that they are the more that that exposes the problems within the system and then I think on that day-to-day basis really actively trying to spend time with people who are different to you you know we often gravitate particularly in school into groups of people who are very similar to each other and the more time that we can spend with other people and understand their different experiences then the more that that's going to translate into the ways that we then work together within our communities and in our workplaces so yeah I think school's a really good place for that to happen I mean there is some you know because pretty much everyone goes to school it means that we're sort of all shoved together Mm. of course there is some you know schools are often placed within areas that might mean that people have certain similarities in terms of coming from that area but generally I think there's a good space for young people to get to meet people who perhaps have different experiences to them yeah definitely yeah it's amazing I learned quite a big lesson a couple of years ago so my sister started fostering a boy from Iraq who's just become just amazing part of our family and I I just can't even remember almost not having him now but I remember when he first came and he didn't speak any English and he was obviously from a totally different culture different language different country different everything and I remember initially finding it quite hard to connect with him and actually feeling a sense of maybe not fear is probably not the right emotion but almost just felt we come from total different worlds and I struggled communicating with him because he didn't really understand what I was saying and I think I just almost was I just don't know how we're going to develop a friendship I almost don't know how we could be close because we are so different and I almost thought that I was making him feel uncomfortable with trying and I was worried that I don't know it was just and I mean, this was only the first couple of weeks when I was beginning meeting him and almost it was a little bit awkward because I just didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable. And it was just, yeah, one of those things. And my daughter, Lily, was actually absolutely amazing at just breaking the ice of the awkwardness. She didn't have that awkwardness that I felt of being, how can we connect when I literally don't, first, I don't know how to speak to you. And I tried using Google Translate and I tried doing these things, but I was really worried that the words would come out wrong. And I don't know, but she was so amazing. She was only seven at the time and she literally would just go and grab his hand and like pull him outside and a ball and just start playing ball with him. And honestly, they have the sweetest relationship ever. And every time they see each other, they'll run up and hug each other. And literally since day one, she built that connection, which I initially wasn't able to really see or understand how it would work. And I think I kind of just, I don't know, followed in Lily's footsteps of how she approached it. And I would start just even just playing football games or sport games with him. And we just built this connection that was just beyond words that we didn't have. Initially, we had no words to say to each other, but even just the way we looked at each other, he knew that. I cared about him and he began feeling that sense of trust and that was probably one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned about how to not feel intimidated even if you're so different from someone else because at the end of the day you're human and you're going to be able to connect just because of that same common thing. Yeah absolutely yeah and I think it's a really great story and I hope that you know there will be children in school now who have got new 
people joining their classes from Afghanistan and Ukraine. And yeah, I hope that they listen to that and think about, you know, there are ways we can connect beyond language is important, but there are ways, as you say, that we can connect outside of that as well. Yeah, definitely. Because I think as well, my connection with him, first through just playing without using language, but then as we got closer, then we both started teaching each other our own language. And now he speaks amazing English. And to be fair, I'm really rubbish. I don't speak much (laughs) of Iraq, but yeah, and that does make it much, much easier. But I think it's sweet. We've come so far that we both almost like look back at when we first met and we can actually talk about it. And he understands what I'm saying now. And yeah, it's amazing to like journey that. Yeah, I love that. So do you have any strategies on how we can celebrate diversities better? I mean, I think a lot of what you just said is like a really good example, I think. So I'd say it's not assuming one common experience. So sometimes we can think that the way that we experience the world is the way that everybody else experiences the world as well and therefore sometimes when people tell us about their experiences we sort of think I can't imagine that happening what you mean is that wouldn't happen to me that doesn't mean that those things and those experiences don't happen to other people so I think that's sort of our base to not assume that everybody is the same as us but also and what I really liked about what you were saying then is I think sometimes when you talk about diversity and inclusion it can feel really focused on how we are different when really it's hard, it's about what are the things that we have in common and our humanity and the ways that we find those connections with each other. So you might know there was a quote from Joe Cox, who was an MP who was sadly murdered a few years ago by, but, and she says that we have more in common than that which divides us. And I think Mm. that's something that we can really think about is when we think about the things that at core that we want from life that people want love they want safety they want to belong that is common across human experience and some of us get to experience that more than others and I think for me that's what the inclusion piece is about is to say so diversity is accepting that we all have these different experiences and then inclusion is thinking about well how do we look at a system that means that some people get to grow up in safer environments than others what do we do about that what do we do about the fact that some people feel they belong because they see themselves represented every day on Mm. tv and in places where important decisions are made so how do we take these things that we all as humans want and make sure that that's being fairly divided across society because at the moment it's not yeah yeah that's so good so can we now talk a little bit about making change in our communities and why do you think so many people especially young people don't feel they're able to make real change I think mostly because the systems are designed to exclude them. So the way that, you know, we've talked a lot about, so I see power as being the ability to make decisions. If you have the ability to make decisions over yourself, then you're empowered within your own life. If you can make decisions about the way that other people live their lives, that's power. And the system is yeah, designed and set up so that some people have power and some people don't. I'm going to get this stat wrong now, but there's a new piece of research that's just come out between the UN Youth Envoy and Body Shop. 
about young people's representation in politics across the world. And it's something like over half of the global population is under 30, but a tiny percent of people in parliament are under 30. So we don't have a representative system. Mm. And what you get then is, so the majority of people who vote, say in the UK, are over the age of 40. They are homeowners. They are white. So that's the majority of people who are voting, which then means that the policies that politicians are going to prioritise are going to be the ones that those people want, which then means that young people sort of feel like, well, what's the point in voting? Because Mm -hmm. it doesn't represent me. And that's how the system works. So if where you imagine in Wales, we've got 16, 17 year olds can vote. If every 16 and 17 year old was voting, that would change politics because politicians would have to listen, understand and care about facing 16, 17 year olds. But at the moment, because they're so excluded from the system, less than half even registered to vote. I don't blame them. This is not about, you know, it's not me lecturing people that they should vote. But it's like understanding that, yeah, of course you feel that way because it's been designed for you to feel that way. So I think that's like the big system bit. But then there is also, I guess, and you'll probably be better able to say than me, but I think there still is this societal pressure to fit in. That's definitely what I felt when I was Mm. younger. And, you know, kind of stepping up and saying, you know, speaking out against things or doing something a bit out of the ordinary can make you, yeah, not fit in with your peers. Uh, Yeah. big part of it as well and generally like a fear of failure there's a fear of that we'll that we'll start something and it won't work or nothing will change or people might like laugh at us Mm. I think you know all all those complex things that just yeah kind of come from being a a young person I don't think I don't think it has to be that way I just think that it kind of is that way at the moment yeah yeah sure what do you think the barriers are how can we break through these barriers yeah, so I think one of the first things I think is find others who believe in the same things that you do. So if the thing that you are really passionate about is climate change, then find other people in your school, youth group, neighbours, uni, work, wherever it is, find other people who kind of have those same feelings as you, because it is easier to do it in community and to do it with other people and it can help you to feel braver when there's a bigger group of you doing something Mm -hmm. you know you don't feel as silly you don't feel Mm -hmm. about failing so finding other people and it can also it just helps you to validate that the things that you care about are things that other people kind of care about as well so you know you might start a group at your school or 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 just like chat to people about it And then I think I said, I'm not going to lecture people, but really do register to vote. (laughs) I think that that is the tool that we have at the moment at our disposal in terms of, you know, whether people like politics or not, it is probably the biggest, has the biggest impact on how your daily life like pans out. And I would love to see more young people standing for office, you know, standing in local councils, parliaments. And I think that the younger that you kind of, most political parties you can join when you're 15, 14, 15, that sort of age. So, you know, if you can find a party that you 
believing getting involved in that and having more young voices so this might have changed now but last year so I live in Wrexham last year somebody who I went to school with became a local councillor and she was the youngest councillor now well I'm 35 now I would have been 34 then that is not that young (laughs) it's young for a councillor because the majority of councillors are retired men But I would love to see, you know, much more young people standing for office because then that means that you're represented in those conversations. And yeah, and there I'd also say like find role models. So people who are making change within whatever sphere that they have and taking inspiration from them. Although what I would caution is what can sometimes happen is that we look at people who are doing big things in the world and we think, I could never do that. Or we go, oh my God, they're so amazing because they're doing all of these things when really they're ordinary people. And when we put them on this big pedestal, we almost stop ourselves from thinking that we could do those things as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that leads nicely onto what I was going to ask you next is, do you have any stories of ordinary people who do extraordinary things? Yeah, so I just think about a couple. So one person who came to mind for me was Michaela Loach. So she is a student. She's in Edinburgh and she has been working to like make the climate movement more inclusive. So when you look at people, sort of climate activists, the ones who tend to get a lot of the coverage tend to be white when we know that the people who are going to be most impacted by climate change are people living in the global south because of the way that we live our lives here and the the amount of like pollution and things that we put out into the world so so she's done a lot of work around making sort of amplifying the intersections between racial justice and climate justice so she's yeah been to I think she joined Extinction Rebellion and then has been talking and does a lot on social media as well Someone else I was thinking of was Emma Gonzalez. So she is American and she was a survivor of a school shooting. And, you know, really lucky that that's not something that we deal with on a basis in the UK. And after that happened, she organised a march in her community about, you know, trying to change gun laws. And there is now improved gun control in Florida. So, yeah, that's, you know, we can... But what she did was not to minimise it, you know, lots of us could organise a march. Like if there's something that we can look at people and go, I could never do that, but you could do that. And that does lead to, or we can think, well, what difference does a march make? But in that Mm -hmm. case, it has has led to some improved gun control. There's still definitely more to be done. And then, I mean, I think Greta Thunberg's always a good example because she's, you know, known by so many people and... I think she's a really great example of somebody who is massively put on a pedestal and people mm-hmm. think I could never do that when, you know, she was just a kid who was at school. And what she said was, what is the point of me going to school if the world's not going to exist by the time I need to go to work? So what she did was every Friday she didn't go to school 
again, that is in so many ways, it's extraordinary, but it also is ordinary that, you know, and again, lots of people could do that. You know, that's, she's had significant global impact and Fridays for Mm. Future is now a big movement and there are school children all over the world now who strike on Fridays. But I think those are some examples of people who found things that they care about and done something that most of us could do. I think particularly if you have other people to do it with you, you know, it's many of us would find it easier to do a march with lots of other people or to strike with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, those are a few people that came to mind. And I think particularly because of her age, and I think everyone knows her, I think partly because, as you said, there isn't that many young people who feel they can make such a difference. And yeah, it's amazing that she has set off hopefully this ripple effect and encouraging other young people that if she can that they can and yeah that's amazing I wanted to give a little shout out to my dad because so he is a painter and decorator he has been his whole life and in the last year um, as of this year there was a group of people in Bristol who were asking for anyone to volunteer and take some bands and take some aid to Ukraine when the war broke out. And he happened to be painting a house in Bristol at the time, I believe. He was like, yeah, okay, I'll go. And he was there thinking it would be two weeks. He would be traveling down there, bringing the aid, delivering it, and then maybe coming back after a week or two of helping. And He is still out there now. He's been out there for a couple of months and I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. And he just came with just the heart to be like, okay, well, I don't actually have any commitments back at home. At my work, I can work anywhere in the world. And so I have these skills. I will serve where it's needed. And so it started off by going in, collecting food and giving it to people who are fleeing the country and passing it to them and be kids and families who hadn't eaten for days and then they were loading onto coaches for another 14 hours so he was like packing up food packages for them passing on to them and then it went to communicating with the UK and communicating the need back and getting more supplies more need and then delivering it to like hospitals petrol stations all of these areas and he's developed this like amazing community in Ukraine And it's really sweet. They really love him. They're so thankful for him. And yeah, it's a bit mad, really. And he's just, you know, an ordinary person, just being, you know, one week he's been a painter and decorator. And the next week he's in the middle of a Ukraine community, just going and helping in any way he can. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. (laughs) Going back to our questions, how can young people take action right now, just as they are? Do you have any tips of how to get the ball rolling? Yeah, so I think there's a few things we've probably touched on already, but we can sort of bring them all together. So I think the first one is finding that thing that you really care about. Like, what is the thing that really mm. is on your mind? It tends to be, I think, the thing that really makes you angry. <laughs> that tends to, you know, if you can be angry about something, it shows that you've like got some emotions around it. And then start by finding other people who feel the same way. So that might be said in your school, your college. We also have this huge online community now. You will find other people who care about that thing. And like existing organisations, I think sometimes we feel overwhelmed because we're like, oh my God, I have to start this movement. You know, so say Fridays for Futures is a good example. Is now 
you don't have to start a school strike movement there already is one so you might be yeah. starting in your local area but there's this infrastructure where you can yeah. speak to other young climate activists around the world to find out what they're doing what works that sort of thing so I think looking for organizations that are already doing the sort of things that you want to do and then also thinking about what is it that you enjoy what would be the ways you know what are you good at what would be your what's your sort of part in it all and I've got a friend great friend called Lauren Curry who talks about if we sort of see all this stuff as this big wall and when we look at the big wall we think we're never going to get through it but actually if, if every single one of us turns up at the wall with our little pickaxe and does our yeah. little bit then we will get through it so if you think yeah. about yeah like I said what are the things that you're particularly good at whilst acknowledging that you know sometimes you know, when we're really involved in activism and change, a lot of it is also doing things that you don't want to do because that's what needs to be done for the yeah. sort of greater good and the things that you're trying to achieve, I suppose. Mm. I recently went on a 10-mile march. That's a really long way. Would <laughs> I rather be doing other things? Yes, but do I think that this is really important and something that I want to show my support for? Yes. So there are sacrifices, I think, to be made to not glamorize activism either because it's. Yeah, that's um, a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because even that, with sometimes you just get the highlights of campaigning, but actually there's often a lot of work behind the scenes which aren't fun at all. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point to make as well. So, yeah, encourage people to have endurance through the harder more boring parts as well (laughs) so how can parents and adults who engage with young people do more to stand behind their kids in their campaigns or efforts or their wanting to make a change what would you say to them trust them believe them respect them I think the level of underestimation that people have in that adults have in young people is a disgrace yeah. uh, you know, like you were saying you know talk to five-year-olds who have an understanding of inequality and know the things that they want to see in the world so I think yeah trust believe respect I think that adults can also think about how they can devolve their power so you have certain power mm. So that might be uh, space. So that might be that, you know, if you get to go to meetings, be in certain rooms, speak at certain things, are there other people you could like bring up with you? Money. So if you've got, you know, you tend to have more money than younger people. So if money is what you have that you can give to young people, money is a form of power. So is time sort of thinking, I think, what's your bit of power <laughs> and how can you like share that? with young people and you know let them in let them lead let them sort of show what are the things that are really important so I'm a member of the Women's Equality Party which is a political party and I'm the branch leader for Wales and we're a recent new branch the first campaign that we're doing is going to be around end sexual harassment in schools because that's what our youngest member wants us to focus on and she talked to us about what that experience is like in school and then Mm. I go oh my god it was like that when I was in school but you forget or you think that it must be different now it's 2022 it must be different now when it is so I think really taking the issues that young people see and putting your power behind them yeah that's amazing 
Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So leading on to our last two questions, what is your mental health manifesting? Yeah, so I guess in sort of similar vein to what I just said, I would love to see more power being devolved to the people that need to make the decision. So if we're talking about young people's mental health, we have a Welsh Youth Parliament in Wales, give them the budget for mental health provision for young people. They're an elected body, but I think at the moment the way that it works is they can sort of meet and they can give advice to ministers and things, but you could give them the money and they could make the decisions. (laughs) Yeah. Putting the decision-making into the hands of the people who actually use services. And I think I'd really like to see just a better societal understanding that traditional education doesn't work for everyone. I think that is such a big source of mental ill health is that people are sort of forced into systems that just don't work for everybody and then we Mm. sort of think that you're the problem when really it's the system and then that being backed up I guess with investment and change just so that really everyone can you know linking it back to diversity inclusion just be who they want to be and who they're meant to be but we have so many systems that just get in the way of that at the moment but I think that we do have the money and the capacity to change it it's just that we don't at the moment yeah yeah oh that would be amazing yeah to do that to make that happen and if you could go back and say anything to your younger self what would you say that fitting in isn't all that it's cracked up to be (laughs) and school is such a is an important part of your life it's also like a really short part of your life as well and what feels the things that feel really important what other people think about you will not be as important as you get older and I think also that that politics is for you that's what I would tell me that yeah that, that is a you know to have come to this so much later in life you know maybe I needed to go through the things that I've gone through but I think to have that belief instilled when I was younger that these are spaces that I could be in I think that would be really important to have known earlier in my life yeah definitely oh that's really nice oh thank you so much thank you thanks Thanks for joining I feel it's nice I have just got to know you better and I feel I'm so glad that you've you know gone on this journey and that you're doing what you're doing because it's inspiring me to you know look into I don't know feel like my voice matters as well in those spaces and so it's got me thinking as we've gone on so yeah thank you thank you and I think has reminded me to think about how I can spend more time with younger people as well so I think I spend a lot of time talking about how you know how great they are and how much more that we should involve them in our movements and then maybe I don't actually do enough of that as well so yeah I've really appreciated chatting with you ah thank you that's really nice thanks so much for listening to compassionate conversations series two you can find us on single parents well-being don't forget to subscribe and tune into our next episodes see you soon